Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. First Thessalonians chapter two verses one through six. We're gonna we're gonna move uh, quickly through this. Um, it's uh, something that I trust will uh, build us up and, and help us, uh, particularly in this hour that we find ourselves in as a as a as a church. But let me read to you these words from Paul. He says, "For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain." But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. I um, just kind of first reread this passage a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, Abby's surgery was coming up. It kind of came to me in my normal devotional time, and it um, struck me for a couple of reasons. The first reason being this. It's kind of the, the context or the background, the things that are going on as Paul is, is writing this passage to the Thessalonican church. He refers to Philippi. And then he's referring to his time in Thessalonica. And we have a pretty clear picture of what Paul was going through in that moment. Because if you go to Acts chapter 16, you read about Philippi. It's Paul's normal pattern. He comes into Philippi. He preaches the gospel. There are converts made. But then this is the moment in time where he and Silas find themselves in prison. And then at midnight, they're praying. They're singing hymns to God. And there's an earthquake. And they are set free. The prison doors are opened, and God hears their cries of deliverance, and he moves on their behalf, and he frees them from the prison. And it's a significant moment. It ought to remind all of us that, you know, God still opens prison doors today. And sometimes our prison doors are not physical. Sometimes they're spiritual. And I want you to know today that the power of God has the power to move and to open the doors that are blocking you. But the drama doesn't end there. You'd think an earthquake would be enough, but it's not. Because at the moment of of, of this happening, they say, we want you to go away, Paul and Silas. And Paul pulls out his citizenship card. He says, guess what, boys? I'm a Roman citizen. You have have, uh, treated me unjustly, and you're not going to just send me away. We're going to do this right. So all that happens, they leave. And they're on the road to Thessalonica. And as I first read it, I thought, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because 
In a modern-day context, if we would have experienced Philippi and we were on the road to Thessalonica, we might, we might be having a conversation that goes something like this. Well, you know what? That didn't work very well. You know, maybe we need to tweak something. Maybe we need to change something. Maybe there's something that, that needs to be adapted. But you know what? That's not how Paul and Silas thought. They went right into Thessalonica. They preached the gospel. Converts were established, and a church was birthed, and right in the middle of all of that, a mob shows up to the home of where they are meeting. And this mob is demanding that the officials from the city come because they want to let them know who Paul and Silas are. And we see all this in Acts chapter 17. And what they say of Paul and Silas is this, you need to tell these guys to leave. Because everywhere they go, they turn the world upside down. The status quo is challenged. Things change. People don't behave and act and believe the way they believed and act and and behave before they came. And because of that, leader of Thessalonica, if you want things to stay the same, you better tell Paul and Silas to leave. And that's exactly what happens. They're told they got to go. And as Paul and Silas are on the road out of Thessalonica, I have to believe that in his heart he's thinking, Lord, I pray the church survives. I pray it survives. Brand new babies in the Lord, alone, in a hostile culture that is saying, we don't want what you are now about. And that was intriguing to me because I think that historical context kind of lines up with where we are at today. And then we see Paul writing this letter to the Thessalonican church. And it's amazing because word has gotten back to him. The church remains and their faith is enduring. Because of that, this letter reads a little bit different than other writings from Paul because it's filled with delight and celebration over this church that might not have made it, that is thriving. And then in what we just read, Paul is reminding them why they are thriving. And it really is very simple, and it really is very basic. And I'm going to give you the three things that he's reminding them of. And if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Gospel first. Gospel unchanging. Gospel at work in me. Gospel first. Gospel unchanging. And gospel at work in me. Because as we read those six verses, that is what what Paul is reminding them of. He's saying, church, when I came to you, what I taught you, what I invested into you, what, what, what I told you to root your faith in is what has caused you to endure. And he says right there in verse 2, he says, I came to you announcing the gospel of God. So that journey from Philippi to Thessalonica where where Paul and Silas just kind of affirmed that we're not going to change the message, we are going to we're going to remain faithful in announcing it is is something that reminds us of the origin of strong faith and it's this gospel first. 
gospel first. See, because Paul, he didn't you know, size up the, the ongoing opposition and the adversity around him and say, well, you know what, I, I, maybe I need to do something a little bit different. But rather, he allowed the gospel that saved him to put those circumstances in perspective. It kind of goes back to uh, one of these you know, little phrases that's kind of been around the church world for a while. You know, don't focus on how big your problems are, but tell your problems how big your God is. Right? I think Paul, in the first century, got it. He remained true to the gospel. And here's the reason why. I believe the gospel refreshed Paul. I believe it empowered him to fulfill the assignments that God had given him. And I believe that before Paul preached the gospel to other men, he continually preached it to himself. He reminded himself of what Christ had said. He reminded himself of what Christ had done in his life. And and he told himself, and he told himself again. And it became a natural part of his walk with the Lord to be reminded of what the good news of the gospel was. It was not something that he just kind of compartmentalized to that moment on the road to Damascus when Jesus revealed himself. But rather he saw it as essential to his walk and to the building of his faith. And because of that, before he preached it to other people, he preached it to himself. On day one and at year ten. And he preached to himself a gospel that was unchanging. He was true to that which God revealed. And I, I, I remind us of this because I think that there is a bit of a notion in the church world today that due to its simplicity, the gospel is lacking in power. It's, it's, it's kind of like this notion that it's, it's just it's something that, um, that needs to be shared in children's Sunday school classes. But above and beyond that, it does not occupy much attention or focus in my life. And I don't see that as the example of the people who have gone before us. But rather, I see those who have gone before us having a continual pattern of refreshing themselves with the truth of the gospel and what Christ has done. And we're going to do that today. Right now in this moment, I'm going to take you to a a passage of Scripture that I'm going to read. It contains the simple message of the Gospel. And I just want you to receive it, to be reminded of it, and to thank God for it. If you want to read the whole passage in your own time, here it is. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5. I'm not going to read verses 1 and 2. Um, they They are very, very, very... Um, consistent with the words that we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But then in verse 3, this is what I want you 
to receive refreshing and life from today. Paul says, for I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then in verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. Christ dying for our sins and being raised again on the third day unto life and now seated at the right hand of the Father in authority, having overcome sin and death and the grave is not something that we just need to teach to our children, but rather it is something that we need to remind ourselves of because it is the only way to build our faith. It's the only way to see the power of the gospel at work in us. It's the only way to see transformation that takes us from looking like the world to looking like the one who died for us. And because of that, gospel unchanging means we recite the truth of the message regularly. And one of the reasons why I feel like we have fallen out of habit just within the church world in the West at large. It's because there are things that are incorporated into the gospel message that were never meant to be a part of it. And Paul warned us of this. He said, you know what, there's going to be a day and a time where there's another gospel and another Jesus. There are going to be there are going to be different versions and different flavors and different constructs that are going to be that are going to deviate from the truth of what Christ has given us. And the, and one of the ways that 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 you keep from taking the bait is you know what Christ has said and you remind yourself of it continually. Because we must be discerning, we must know the truth, and we must make sure that the convictions that we are establishing within our heart are consistent with what Christ has revealed to us. And that's why the gospel needs to be at work in us. Gospel first, gospel unchanging, gospel at work in us. You see the example that, that, that Paul is giving us through his conduct towards the church is a, is a commitment to unwavering gospel integrity that not only reminds us of what Christ has done, but it also reminds us that strong faith is only found in him. The gospel at work in us. I'll give you two things related to the gospel that, are, that will illustrate what I mean by this. See, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but that power is also a power that works to, to sanctify us and to cause us to grow spiritually. And in the and what I'm about to say might just come across a little bit heavy, and that's not the spirit that it's being delivered in. Okay? 
but with, within the church. You know, we are, we are one of the uh, we are one of the only institutions where mediocrity becomes acceptable. And, and this this is what I mean by that. Throughout churches across our land, there are plenty of people who have known Christ for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40, and there remain a spiritual babe that is one day old. And on some level, that becomes acceptable. And it's not. The gospel has to be at work in us in a way that is changing us and strengthening us and causing us to look more like the one who saved us and less like the one we used to be. Now, I know every time a preacher says something like that, you think, he's talking to me, he's thinking about me. And, you know, that's not the case. If there's, a, if there's a tug in your heart right now, you know, ask the Lord what he's wanting to speak to you. Because I believe that what Paul is encouraging us towards is, a, is, is an uplifting and not a condemnation. And a part of the gospel at work in us reminds us on a continual basis that sin should be taken Seriously. That, that, that sin is not something that should be coddled. It is not something that should be justified. It is not something that we should hide away in the closets of our house, our spiritual home. But rather, it is something that must be dealt with as urgently now as it was in the beginning. But the, the, the work of our adversary, the one who wants to keep us from knowing the fullness of all that Christ has to offer, is one that comes to us and he whispers very clearly, very cleverly, and with impeccable timing. That whatever that thing is, well, it's acceptable. You don't need to worry about that right now. We'll take care of it later. You know, you're a believer and you're going to heaven because you're bought by the blood, but you can leave a little bit of dirt in your house. You know, I mean, we've all had these words whispered to us. And as we refresh ourselves with the gospel and we allow its work to be ongoing within us, we're reminded that sin is serious because it is an offense to God. And that it's an offense and a weight that our Savior does not want us to carry because He created a way for us to be free of it. even as we walk our journey with him throughout life. I'm going to think about David. King David, a great man. Historians are still writing about him. 
great king, a warrior, a conqueror, but not perfect. And after Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you know what, David, you did wrong. His response in Psalm 51 isn't one where he's blaming Bathsheba for taking a bath. Isn't one where he's uh, mad at Uriah for marrying Bathsheba. You know, it's not one where he's setting up all of these ideas and notions that are bringing comfort to his heart. Because, you know, sin... It stirs things up, it produces a weight, and, and we, 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 we try to address it in ways that, that just try to mitigate you know, the, the conviction that is upon us. David did not do that. When his eyes were finally opened, he said, Lord, to you and you alone have I sinned. He recognized that, 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 that what he had done was an offense to God. And, and, and he recognized that sin was something that was serious, that must be reckoned with, that, 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 that he has got to rectify before God, that he can't walk with it, he can't handle it, he doesn't have the solution. But rather, in the brokenness of his heart, he finally came to the place where he said, Lord, against you and you alone, I have sinned. And then he recognized the consequence as he prayed for restoration. He says, God, God, I'm praying for restoration because I need you to restore the joy of my salvation. You see, sin, it not only hinders us, it not only holds us back, but it robs us of the joy that the Lord intends to fill our hearts. And then when we accept it and we become familiar with it, we live in this joyless existence that is just a survival mode. And it's like, well, you know, I guess the Lord's going to get me through today, too. God doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to thrive. Sin is to be taken seriously. Christ won the victory over it. He wants to give you the freedom. And I feel like some of the reasons why we don't walk in that freedom is because of, 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 of of the picture we have painted in our minds of who Jesus is. This is the last thing I'm going to talk about. Because I want you to leave here today knowing the power of your Savior. Because I just, sometimes I hear an implied weakness and inferiority regarding Jesus when I talk to people. I've got this relationship that needs to be put back together. I've got this addiction to overcome. You know, I, I, I've got this issue of the heart that needs to be changed. I've got this part of my mind that needs to, to be renewed. And, and even as we think about, uh, you know, uh, addressing it and trying to overcome it, you know, we, don't, we, we, we do it from a, a position of defeatism. And that only exists because we have a wrong picture of Jesus. So the, 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 the gospel working in us in an ongoing way is something that continues to reveal who Jesus is to us. I want to read you another passage. It's Revelation chapter 19. Verses 1, or rather verses 11 
through 16. If you think Christ can't help you overcome, if you think Christ can't save you out of the place you find yourself, if you think Christ can't provide freedom into your life, you don't know this Jesus. And I want you to know this Jesus. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. John writes this, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is our Jesus. The grave could not hold him. He is alive today. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. All of his adversaries have been made his footstool. He has supplied everything that we need for life and godliness. When we come to faith in him, the old man is put to death. There is a new life that is established in Christ that is created You are no longer who you used to be, but rather you are a new creation in Christ to the degree that you have all that you need to overcome the flesh. You have all that you need to overcome temptation. And when we face these things with a sense of being defeated, we are not knowing who our Jesus is. And I want you to be reminded today that the gospel says that he overcame, he paid the price, He washes us clean, and He's coming again. And when He's coming again, it's going to be unlike anything the world has ever seen. Because He's not going to play games, but rather, He's going to implement justice. He's going to unfold His plan. And when you are found in Him, you are going to rule and reign with Him. But when you are outside of Him, His power is not at work in your life. And that's another Jesus that Paul is referring to that is not the Jesus of the gospel. So church, there there must be a determination that fills our hearts. There should be an ongoing faith that is built within us that says whatever I have to overcome, I have what I need in him. Because written on his thigh is king of kings and lord of lords. church is not weak in its position, but rather we have been called to bring that kingdom reality wherever we are. And 
Paul's reminding the church in Thessalonica, you know what, when I came to you, we were facing adversity and opposition. When I stayed with you, I couldn't stay as long as I wanted to. But you heard what was taught. And because of that, in my absence, your faith has endured and the church is secure. Why? Not because it was rooted in Paul. Because it was rooted in Jesus. You want to know my prayer and my cry for all of us? Lord, Lord, I want to be the church that endures. I don't want to be the church that constructs something of our own idea that looks a little bit like you. Gospel first, gospel unchanging, gospel at work in us. Would you stand with me? We're going to close just with some application between you and the Lord. So I'll just ask you now to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And you ask the Lord for yourself this question. You know, Lord, where, where am I at? Do I need to put gospel first? Do I need to come back to an unchanging gospel? Do I, do I need to invite the gospel to be at work in me in an ongoing way? Lord, I just pray that throughout this room and in every living room, Lord God, you just be speaking clearly to us because we want to walk your path and be a part of your journey. Lord, I pray that whatever the takeaway is, may you speak clearly to us and may you give us Lord God, just a, a resolve and a commitment to follow you wherever you are leading us. May we clearly know what the next steps are. And now with every, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give opportunity for the gospel first. So, you know, maybe you're here, you've not made Christ your Lord and Savior. That's where it all begins. It's humbling yourself before him, confessing your sin and announcing him as Lord. And if anyone is here today that says, you know, I need to do that, or that's, me, that's something that you need to come back to because you've walked away from it, I would just like to pray for you. And you can let me know who you are just by raising a hand. Anyone here today? I just need to make Christ first my Lord and Savior. Anyone at all? Lord, I thank you for this time that we've shared today. Remembering the cross. Remembering, Lord God, 
all that you have done to redeem us. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, may we go in your grace and in your peace. I pray, Lord, that uh, throughout the week, your word would be at work in us. And I pray that you would watch over us and keep us. And bring us back again very soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life, and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at 7 o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.